Good afternoon. Welcome to Tom's World Language Cafe, coming to you live from Fishers, Indiana, uh, north of Indianapolis, a growing, growing city. And uh, we're happy that you're here to listen today. Thank you all for coming and listening to the show. And um, we uh, are on October 25th, Tuesday, October 25th. And it's a kind of a cloudy day in, in Indy and Fishers. And we're hoping it rains a little bit because it hasn't rained for a while here. Um, so today, uh, before I talk about today, let me add one more thought. Uh, we are going to have a broadcast from the Indiana World Language Teachers uh, Conference uh, November 4th and 5th. Uh, we will have a live show from there while we're doing the show. Uh, so that's going to be our next uh, radio show, of course. Um, and now we're going to introduce our guest. We are very fortunate today to have a great guest and a great Spanish teacher. Her name is, uh, and we're honored to have her on the show, by the way. Her name is Mercedes Muñiz Peredo, and Mercedes um, teaches um, here in the uh, Carmel, Indiana area. And also, um, Mercedes is a native of uh, Mexico City, I believe, in that area, correct? Yes. Correct. Okay. Well, okay. Buenas tardes, profe. Eh? ¿Cómo estás? Hi, Tom. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. It's it's a pleasure, and I really feel honored to be a guest of your program. Well, we're delighted that you're here, and uh, I know uh, I was just thinking a while ago, my first time to meet you was a while back. <laughs> it was a long time ago. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I, I think I, I was, at the time I was teaching... Some of your uh, nieces or nephews, you right? You were. That's what I was going to mention to you, and I believe that was at uh, Our Lady of Mount Carmel. Yeah, and, that was back then. And, yeah. and you were in elementary teaching, and you moved uh, yep, a that, bit. You I moved was, a lot. Uh, you moved middle up. Middle school, but it could be sixth grade, <laughs> yeah. six, seven, and eighth grade. It was so, middle, yes. middle school, yes, because I remember my uh, niece's daughter had you for class, especially we had all of them, I think. All of them. Uh, well, I, I had a... Um, a lot of them, not all of them, uh, but I, I had definitely, I had Nate, the oldest. You had then, Nate. Uh, he, I, th I think I had uh, Chloe. He, Nate, um, Nate has graduated from IU. Chloe is um, uh, going to be a doctor, and she's at the uh, University of West Virginia Medical School studying to be a doctor. Chloe. And I, I believe that she's even married, right? She got married, uh-huh. Her husband's yeah, studying so, to be yeah, a dentist. It's been a while since yes. she wasn't... Uh, sixth grade, yeah. <laughs> it's been a while. So it, it has been a while. And, uh, well, yes, that would be, wow, that is a while, isn't it? I mean, that's yeah. <laughs> that's quite a while. <laughs> so, but, you don't want to count the numbers, right? Because that only date is us. <laughs> no, no, but that's fine. That's good. And But I will tell the listeners that you have a variety of teaching experience, which I find amazing how you were able to, to do all those things over the years and switch from to, from one level to another, and you did it with very very easily, and how you were able to do it, and uh, so right now, um, let's find, tell the audience where you were born. Well, yes, uh, you were right. I was born and raised in Mexico City. My my parents were kind of like the first generation from um, immigrants from Spain in Mexico. And so I lived there until the day I married, mm -hmm. and I actually married my neighbor. And but he had already um, 
had landed a job in uh, with General Motors. So when we married, we immediately moved to Detroit in, in Michigan. So um, I've been here for over 30 years here in the United States. And Indiana has been a little less. Um, and then I can tell you, you know, after we lived in Detroit, my first son was born in Detroit. Then we moved to Ohio. And then my second daughter was born in, in Akron, Ohio. And then the third daughter, um, she was born in Buffalo, New York. So, you know, the joke at the time was like, so when is child number four coming? Because then we announced that we were moving to Indiana. And so, no, I don't have a Hoosier, Hoosier child, but um, I've been here for, I don't know, 23 years, something like that, 24 years, maybe. Um, now, your, so, hu your, yeah. your husband's bilingual as you are, right? Yes. Okay, yes. okay. And uh, so, now, so you've been in Indianapolis for a while, and I was your first teaching job at the middle school there? At, uh, at, no, uh, actually... Um, when I was still in Michigan, I had my first teaching job in the United States, and that was in a school that um, it still exists. It's called the Academy of the Americas, and to me, that was it, it will remain, I think, like one of the most impactful experiences as a teacher. Um, I was part of um, a group that started a school and this was a, a Detroit public school and but it was kind of like a new project and it was a language immersion mm -hmm. and the school at the time it was only like pre-k to third grade and so I was hired to to be the one of the kindergarten teachers and it was the most amazing um, staff um, I was the only native speaker, but all the other teachers there had, had a close encounter with the language. They, most of them had been Peace Corp uh, students in different Spanish-speaking countries. So their language was exquisite. It was perfect. And, um, and we were, at the time, we were all young. You know, we were all kind of like in the same age and uh, we got along fantastic. And so it was it was like a very, very rewarding experience. And the leadership that we had, um, you know, to this day, I still have, keep in touch with the principal at the time. And it, it was, as I said, you know, one of the most rewarding experiences that I've had as a as a teacher because I learned so much in that first experience. Um, before I left Mexico, I was a kindergarten teacher uh, in Mexico in a, in a private school. Um, and it, it, was, it was a great experience. So I knew the kindergarten ways. But uh, being in a language immersion class, it was just like something that I've never experienced. So, and I learned so much. And that, that's, just, that's wonderful that you had that opportunity, right? That's yeah. really, really nice. Now, so when you were uh, uh, in Detroit, the reason I'm asking you about Detroit, my wife was born there, Jill, 
She was. Oh, really? Uh, she was born. I did in, not know that. She was born in Detroit, and she studied, uh, and she got her uh, undergraduate degree at Albion College in uh-huh. Michigan. <laughs> and uh, but anyway, uh, so when you came to Indy, though Indianapolis, you were used to the big city, right? Pretty much, and you'd right. been in Buffalo, and so. Um, what team are you for in football? Do you like follow the NFL teams? I mean, who do you support? Do you... Go Colts. Go Colts. Go I mean, Colts. You're still for the Colts. Okay, good. I didn't know if you were or not. <laughs> okay. Yeah, of course. So uh, now, right now, where are you teaching? You're teaching at uh, the University High School, right? Uh, correct. And that is that is a, a private school, and it's a preparatory school, and it only has um, 9, 10th, 11, and 12th grades, and we have like around, give or take, 350 students. So, I mean, it's, it's a very nice school size. Uh, it's probably one of the smallest places that I ever worked. Um, now, well, and that, that obviously has its many advantages. Yeah. Um, there are other things that um, you can do um, just because of the size, right? But um, the advantages are, you know, are tremendous. And this is, um, the, I'm glad that you're on the program because I think most of our teachers have been, that we have on, teach in the public schools. But this is certainly another opportunity for teachers, right, to think about. There are a lot of private schools in the United States, right, where the uh-huh. teachers could uh, teach in those situations as well. Now, what are your class sizes? Are they fairly, are they large well, or small? It, it varies. Like, for example, um, I currently teach one period of uh, level three, and that's kind of like a full size. I have 20 students. And, and then, but then I also teach the AP literature class. And this year, I only have one student. Okay. So it's one of the advantages of being a small school that can afford to do that and, and provide for the needs of each of the students, even if that means have a one-on-one right, right. teaching situation, right? Right. Now, do you have a lot of Latino kids there? No. There are probably three Latino kids in the entire school. Okay. So... And, um, I would say... All of these three kids do speak Spanish at home, although they are probably the second generation. So, so um, are these? They were born here, right? Now, do the parents are the ones that moved, right? Now, so do these? Um, the the school itself is, is located in Carmel, Indiana, isn't it? In, it is. It is. I we are. It was. Um, yeah. Yeah. And on 116, um, close to Town Road. Okay. That part. Very. It's a very nice area. It's one of the mm-hmm. probably one of the nicer areas in the state, right, of Indiana, Carmel. Yes. But yeah. however, having said that, we have students from Boone County, Hamilton County, and of course Marion. Okay. So it's a it's and, and, it's a very diverse school. Good. Okay. Which is one of the beauties. Yes. Of of the place. So how did you get interested in culture and language? Was it just because you were in, um, you were in, well, you were in Mexico City, you taught in kindergarten, and then you just 
it kind of got in your blood about teaching, right? I assume. And but how did you get into the coming to the U.S. when you got here? Is that what you immediately wanted to do? Well, I'm going to tell you that I've always been interested in languages, always. Because like even when I was a little kid, I remember that like I would be playing with my siblings. I'm the oldest of six, and we would be playing, I don't know, playing teacher. That was one of the favorite things that we did. And of course, I was the teacher. And, uh, you know, my siblings had to obey what I said, right? Um, so, but I, so I was always being interested in languages. I also have like this uh, memory that close to my house, maybe like a couple of blocks away, the Japanese school just opened. Um, and I begged my parents to let me go to the Japanese because what couldn't be cooler than learning Japanese, right? So, um, and they thought about it. They actually investigated about it, but it, we found out that because it was a new school, they started small. So they started like, let's say, K to third grade. And I was already like above that. So, I mean, I wanted to go to Japanese school, but I didn't want to repeat a year just right. for the sake of being in Japanese school. So, <laughs> you know, that, that opportunity opportunity kind of like went out the window. But so it, it's just like I've always been interested. But what happened when I came to the United States, I, I realized that, you know, that we all know that Spanish is spoken in the Spanish-speaking countries, and we know that there are 21 countries. But you never thought that the United States is another country that a whole bunch of people speak Spanish, like at home, right? So I realized that, you know, eventually teaching Spanish was not going to be tackling uh, a luxury item, but it was more addressing a need. Now that's so a- that's when I, I, I realized that, you know what, there are 40-some million people speaking Spanish in the United States. Which is um, which is more than any Spanish-speaking country other than Mexico, right? Well, um, oh, Spain it's, maybe it's in the close. top five because, like, for example, Argentina has close to 50. But, yeah, Mexico has 125 million yeah, people. Yeah, Mexico by and far. And then maybe yeah. um, Argentina or Colombia. Colombia has, like, large population yeah, as I well. Th- I think Colombia has, has Spain has... Over forty, over forty million people. Yeah, so I, I think yeah, maybe forty quarter or something like that. So it's still more than the United States, but the numbers in the, in the United States are going up. Oh, they're huge. Yes, they are. Now, so, so you know, um, very definitely being at the top five Spanish-speaking countries. Yes, it it's very uh, significant, right? Right. Okay. So, uh, where did you study at? Did you you studied? You said in Mexico, right, to start with. <laughs> yes. Um, I did my undergrad degree in Mexico City, in a uh, in a school that is called uh, Universidad Panamericana, and I teach pedagogía, which could be translated as teaching, and so. And that's when why I started teaching in kindergarten. 
back home in, in Mexico. Uh, and so when I came to the United States, I decided that I wanted to continue teaching. And, and to be able to do that, I needed to have a degree from the United States. So I, because I was in Detroit, I enrolled in Wayne State University. And I did um, like a master's degree. Uh, and at the time, is it was called the bilingual, bicultural um, degree in teaching. That, so that, uh, that allowed me to land the job at the Academy of the Americas. So that, Wayne State, back to my wife, both her parents graduated from there. Oh, Wayne, really? Wayne wow. State, yes. Her mother was there and she saw the Diego Rivera while he was painting the murals there, the ah, mural, yeah. You kidding? In Detroit. Wow. No, yeah, she, she saw him live, I guess, and, and actually was there when he was painting. But um, uh, it's more of a more of a Detroit connection. <laughs> yeah, wow. Yes. That is amazing. Um, because, yes, you're right, that mural is really, really impressive. So this this is a question just for the fun of it. Um, when you think back in Mexico and you think about Mexico, who are the most three of the most interesting people in the history of Mexico that if you were talking about that? Wow, that's a loaded question. Well, we could, we could go back to um, you know the times of the conquest, and I would include, although it might not be a popular person to include right now, would be Hernán Cortés, um, just because um, we are what we are today because of the conquest. Right. We are not Aztecs, you know. Right. Um, we are not fully Spanish. We are the fusion of those two cultures. So, um, so that I would say that is definitely one historical character that um, right is, even if you don't did if you agree or disagree with his his you know his uh, impact in Mexico be it that positive or negative because right, right there are two sides to that but but no matter what he had a big impact right I mean exactly. negative impact exactly. and a positive impact so what about Benito Juarez would you say he was the big one Benito Juarez is definitely a, another big figure. Um, it is probably one that is um, responsible to the type of politics that we have today in Mexico. Um, so that was an, an interesting character. And then, like, I would like to always include uh, interesting women like Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz. Uh, what a great writer. What a woman! She yes. was definitely placed in in a time outside of her time. Yes, she was way was, ahead, way ahead was, of her time. Uh, like the foreshadowing of great greater women. Yes. Today, you yeah, know? I'm glad you brought she her was up. She was, she was in, many, a, in many ways. Yeah, she was a jewel, one of the great writers and minds. She had a great uh -huh. mind, brilliant, brilliant lady. Um, and what about singers? Who's the greatest singer of all time? Ah, uh, singers. Uh, now we're including the old singers here too. So you, well, Agustin Lara, I would say. Ah, uh, yes, Lara. Agustin you know, Lara. It's like uh, what a poet! What what a way to yes. to to transform 
uh, and talk about love and, and, you know, beautiful places and yes. commemorate uh, who we are and, you know, the things around He's, us. He wrote, uh, uh, he wrote. But right. even also like for little children, like I, I can think of it, my own uh, childhood listening to Cri Cri, oh, yes. you know, yes. it's like that. <laughs> That's great. That was yes. like the uh, precursor of Walt Disney. Yeah, back to it. <laughs> In back my to, opinion, that's, right? But yes. So that, that idea of creating these characters that are going to, um, you know, be with you in your yes. childhood and you are going to remember them fondly. I mean, I'm old enough. This child, my that's childhood good. is left yes. behind a long time ago. Yeah. And I still remember the songs and I still remember listening to them. And uh, what about what about back to Augustine Lara? He he wrote the song Madrid Madrid, right? The song Madrid. And he also wrote Granada, didn't he? Granada. Without without going there, right? He hadn't didn't go there. Exactly. He, from from pictures he and he wrote the song from supposedly from some black and white pictures. Now in Madrid there's a, there's a statue of him in Madrid. In the Barrio de Lavapies in Madrid, they put a statue uh -huh. up of him because of that song, you know, Madrid, Madrid. And, uh, uh, and I always think of another, who was that other, there was another one in back then, Pedro, uh, Jose Alfredo Jimenez. Jose oh, yeah, was yeah, yeah. another one. He was, a, I always think of, he was, he was another one that wrote, he wrote a lot of songs. Wow. So, yes. there were times. You know, it's funny that you are asking me about musicians because um, I, I've i been very fortunate to, to be able to take my students and set up an altar at the Idle York Museum for Day of the Dead. And so last year we did an altar in honor of Armando Manzanero, who, who just passed due to COVID, the whole thing. Oh, yes. But I mean, what an impactful and great composer he was, um, you know, even American singers have used his music yes. to, to do their own, their own thing. Um, and then this year, which by the way, kind of like a commercial, um, my, my students set up an altar about Vicente Fernandez, which is a completely different genre of music. So, but he's known as the king of ranchera music and mariachis and all that. So, uh, you know, it, it's just amazing that you asked me that question. And um, we, uh, we, my students and I, we, we've been talking about uh, musicians and how they have impacted uh, not just their immediate world in Mexico, but the, how they have gone international. Yes, Vicente, well, Chris, and he had that ranch outside of Guadalajara. Uh, uh -huh. And he named it after his sons. I forget the title of the ranch itself. But uh, Alejandro and then the other. Didn't he have two sons? I Three or two? Yeah. Two. One uh, of, Vicente Jr. and yeah. Alejandro. And of yeah. course, we know Alejandro is, uh, yeah. you know, another famous But one of, one, one of the he, sons got kidnapped, didn't he? At one time. Mm, Something I, happened. I mean, I, I, I don't remember I that. I can't story. remember exactly what happened, but he, I don't remember. I think he was, he ended up being okay, I think. But um, now, so where have you uh, taught at some of your highlights of places you really liked? Now, you mentioned your elementary and, and middle school experience. What about your high school experiences? 
Well, um, let me just briefly give you the, the runabout of my teaching career. So I, as I told you before, I started teaching in, in Mexico and I was teaching in kindergarten. And I also was teaching like a, at a school for, um, for adults or students that couldn't go the, the normal route and they were, you know, a little older than being enrolled in a middle school or high school, but they wanted to continue education. So it was kind of like an adult school and, and, and I was teaching Spanish then. Um, then I got married, so that was put on the side burner. And then when I finished the program at Wayne State, I got that job at Academy of the Americas. And then uh, soon after my son was born, we started moving around. So, uh, and I had the three kids that they are kind of like one after the other. And we were still moving. So it was, it was not a good time for me teaching. So I kind of put my career on the side. Um, and when we arrived to Indiana, I wanted to retake that because um, I was just missing that, right? And my kids were starting to get a little older. So um, I figured that I could do that. It was the right time. So I started teaching at the preschool where my two girls were enrolled here in Carmel as well. And, and at the time, my son was already enrolled in Our Lady Mount Carmel. So um, a couple of years after that, uh, the principal at the school, she asked me if I would be interested in being, becoming the Spanish teacher at Our Lady Mount Carmel. And I said, sure, of course. <laughs> and so that's how I started there. So and I taught there for, I don't know, eight, nine years, something like that. And then I had the opportunity to go to Kokomo. And I um, I was invited to participate in the, the IB program. Um, Kokomo had... Um, this was the second year of, of the new superintendent, and he was a visionary man, and he wanted to change the, the fate of Kokomo schools, and so he brought in the IB program, and there were lots of changes done under his direction, and I was very fortunate to be part of it in the middle school. So, um, and then, but the reality is that the commute did me in, I mean, I admit that, that uh, the 45 minutes drive each way every day just yeah. was not for me. So um, I, that was at the, at the time that I got a position at the Scienceville uh, High School. And so I took that position, even though I've never taught in the high school, but said, you know, this is a new challenge, a new place. Let's give it a try. And I absolutely loved it there. Um, and I, I think I, I was probably ready to move on and move out of the middle school. Um, maybe because my kids were already out of that stage and I just wanted to, um, to be in a different place and give it a new try and have a new experience, right? But I ended up loving it, absolutely loved it. And I taught there for three years. And um, and then I had this opportunity to come here. Uh, I promise you, I wasn't even looking for a job, but um, 
I came to visit uh, a dear friend of mine that was teaching at the time here at university. And the principal here at the time, we have a different principal now, um, he offered me a job. Like if he, if I was interested in coming here and present um, like a class, because that's how they do the hiring here. New teachers have to... Um, give a class, like teach a class, and then they have a very interesting hiring process. So I said, sure, I have nothing to lose. I already have a job, right? So I did, and then I I was invited to be part of the team here. And of course I accepted it, and now I'm uh, in the middle of my fifth year here, if you can believe that. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay. It is amazing. It, it is amazing. <laughs> Uh, okay, now, so now let's talk about a little bit about teaching here. Um, what um, what do you think the best techniques are for teaching a world language? Um, would you say comprehensible input uh, and, and and lots of use of the TPRS uh, uh, strategies or what? Well, uh, when I was still in Mexico, um, I used to be a, a student myself of English, right? Because mm -hmm. uh, I have had an opportunity to be a, an exchange student myself when I was, you know, much younger. And so I remember that at the time, uh, I, we had a, a great teacher that he used a lot of the TPRS. And and he used it with us, not with English, but with a language that we were totally unfamiliar. So um, he did some Urdu. And so just, just to make the point that how effective that could be, right? So I was really very interested in, in that aspect. And of course, you know, in education, we go through... Um, stages or um, trends, right? Cycles. And sometimes they are recycled trends with different names. And, many, and but many I times, think yes. that making it approachable to the student, whatever name you want to give it, it is is the best technique. Um, you have to give them enough that they want more, but not too much that they can't reach it. Yes, and and so, well said and. One of the things, too, I'm sure you probably would agree with this, that I observed over the years teaching, in my years teaching, is that everybody has a style, right? All the teachers have a style. And there's really no perfect way. What's good for you may not be good for me, right? Teaching. Exactly. And you, you have to just go with the flow, right? And uh, exactly. you, you can't uh, say everybody has to do the same thing. And thank goodness, right, we don't all do the same thing. Or education would be totally boring, right? I mean, if we all did the same thing over and over and over. So, you know, I always thought that was one of the neat things about languages, that world languages teaching you. You know, everybody's pretty different and they do their own thing. And uh, in the end, we all end up, you know, offering a lot of different uh, approaches to learning languages. And, and it usually all turns out pretty well, right? I mean, all, uh -huh. when all things are said and done. Um, so what countries have you visited? 
I know you, oh, you visited. You know what? As much as I love languages, I love even better to travel. Okay. So um, I actually been very, very, very lucky that I've been able to um, to travel a lot, I would say. And um, let me let me think. Well, I have traveled with my family. I have traveled, you know, even my, when I was a, a child, my, my dad was, at the time, going abroad was not a big thing because I remember the very first time that I went to Spain, I was maybe 12 years old. And I remember that my mom made a suit so I could go on the plane, you know, uh, it was just like a big, you know, almost like an extravagant thing to do if you were going to be able to travel that far across the across the ocean but um you know in more recent years you know that that is a more common thing to do and i um i have traveled with family i have made trips with teachers when i was in kokomo um the superintendent at the time he had this idea that we if he couldn't take all the students out to the world he would take the teachers out to the world so they can come back and bring it to the classroom. So with with them, I you know I did a, a lot of very fantastic trips. Um, I've also traveled a lot with students, and um, you know let me let me think. Uh, um, some of the places that I've been. Well, let's let's do it by continents. So on the east, I've traveled to Israel, uh, and I've also traveled to. Thailand and Myanmar, and that's probably the farthest I've been. I mean, I did a stop by in Japan, but I don't count that. Um, and in Africa, I've only been in Morocco. Uh, in Eu in Europe, you know, because it's much smaller, it's easier to travel around once you are there. So obviously, I've been in Spain multiple times. Um, it, I've been in Andorra, in Austria, in Belgium, in the Czech Republic, in France, in Germany, in Greece, in Hungary, in Iceland, and in Ireland, and Italy, and of course the Vatican City. I've been in the Netherlands, in Portugal, in Slovakia, Switzerland, and <laughs> even in the UK, right? So, um, so in, in, in the American continent, uh, well, I've been in Belize. I've been in Canada, in Costa Rica, in Panama, in Argentina, in Brazil, in Paraguay, and, and Peru. And, you know, I just hope that the list... How about Colombia? Colombia? Have you made Colombia yet? I have not been in Colombia. Oh, you got to get there. That's a neat place, Colombia. So, uh, of all the, the Spanish-speaking countries, which one do you like the best? Ooh... Well, my heart is in Mexico, no matter what. No matter what the circumstances, my heart will forever be well, in Mexico. It's fun. That's, yes. that's my home. That's, you know, the beauty that Mexico has, uh, in my opinion, is unsurpassable. Um, but I've enjoyed every one of these places. You know, when I went to Argentina, I love that. I love the way that Argentinians talk. Um, Brazil, uh, I had a very neat experience that was at, with a teacher exchange program. So it was a different kind of trip. Um, Costa Rica, it's full of physical adventures, right? What about uh, España? Yeah. Uh, Peru, I mean, 
coming from Mexico that we we have natural wonders of the world like uh, you know like Chichen Itza and the pyramids close to Mexico City, Teotihuacan and all of that. When you go to Machu Picchu, it's just breathtaking. Um, and I will go back in a nanosecond. You know, it's. I I think when you travel, you learn to not just to have favorites, but to appreci- appreciate each one of these places and each one of these peoples and these cultures. Yes, and, yes. And, and love them for what they are. Yes. Love them for how yes. different they are from what you are. Right? Yeah. So when you, uh, when you think about world language study, um, for example, uh, why do you think uh, students need to learn a world language? Well, like anything else, the very first thing that any anybody to learn anything is you want to have the desire to learn it. Um, without it, it's just one more check in, in a list that you need to complete. And um, that's that's not what we want. We we want our kids to to love to learn what they are learning. Um, just because they they need to learn the language like in the as a whole, right? Because nobody learns a language in a vacuum, right? Because if that was the case, we could just get rid of the language requirement by just handing out a dictionary and a grammar rule, a book of grammar rules, and we'll be done. But language is culture. Language is a lot more than just the vocabulary and the and the grammar. Um, so one of the things that I want to instill in my students is that desire to learn. Why do people do the things they do? Um, you know, why, Why, for example, like even if it's a grammar issue, like why in Spain they use more often the um, present perfect as opposed to in Latin America we use the predicate. Like, how is that different? Why? It, why is it important for me to know that? They, right. They also use the subjunctive a lot more too. In this that, that is true. They that really true. use the subjunctive a lot. So yeah, it's uh, well said. That's what beautifully said. Now, so um, how many languages do you speak? Well. Um, Unfortunately, I don't feel like I'm uh, a, a polyglot. I only speak English and Spanish. And when I was younger, um, I took German. But we all know that learning a language is is worse than having a jealous boyfriend, right? Um, <laughs> with languages, it's kind of like the same thing. If you don't use it, you lose it. Okay. So, and at the time, I really didn't have anybody to speak German with, and I wasn't traveling to Germany at the time, so, you know, I kind of lost it, you know, whatever much I learned, I lost it, but, um, and I, I told you my experience with the Japanese schools, I've always been fascinated with languages, so I recently enrolled in a Japanese class, so... Maybe next year, if you ask me that question, I'd probably say that I'm at least a, 
a novice beginner in Japanese. <laughs> well, that would be good. Okay. So um, this um, idea of creativity, for example, what do, what do you think creativity is? Why, how would you define creativity? And what makes for a creative teacher? Hmm. Well, it's very interesting that you are asking me that question because I just recently came across to one article. Um, I think, what was it called? It was called Five Reasons Why It Is More Important Than Ever to Teach Creativity. And that was um, produced by the International Society of Technology in Education. Uh, that article came out about a year ago. So it's kind of like, still very current. And so what is creativity? I guess if you look it up in the dictionary, you we would probably find something like, it's the use of your imagination or original ideas, and especially if it's going to be producing some kind of artistic work, right? And I think that the definition in itself is, is not, it's not a bad definition, but I think it's somewhat incomplete, right? Um, the article talks about how being able to teach or um, let our students know that they are capable of creating something, it's so very important. So the article, which was, uh, I told you like a, a year ago, uh, says that especially now, I mean, with COVID and all, that we are going through some difficult times, we need to bump up creativity levels. We need to generate the innovative ideas that uh, will help us stay afloat, right? And I, I suppose that when you look at back into history, uh, big changes happen after a big period of stress. Um, so maybe this is the moment that we are going to force our creative juices to um, so, make a better world, right? Right. Um, I'm going to stop you for that for a second and bring in technology to the mix. Uh, obviously, technology provides a lot of opportunities as well, right, for creativity. Um, is um, do you, When you're teaching language, do you feel like you you have a mix mixture of things so that you teach in, maybe in a traditional way part of the time and then you bring technology into play is that how you do it or do you do technology all the time well um i don't do technology all the time um i think i'm i'm from that uh generation where we we've been growing with um, trying to catch up with the technology uh, let me tell you just just a, as a backdrop experience um, when I finished high school I thought in my head that I wanted to become an engineer so I enrolled in the engineering program at um, at the Universidad Panamericana and of course like in in that program, I mean, we're talking about the mecca of technology, engineering school, right? And we only had one computer lab 
we had to make an appointment to be able to use the computers for half an hour at a time, right? And, and back then, if you wanted to print something, do you remember those uh, long rolls of paper that had like uh, punch lines yes, along the sides yes. of the, the paper? Can, <laughs> well, I mean, okay. it, it was a chore. Like uh, you had to really think about and very hard what you were going to print because you were allowed a certain amount of paper. And, and, and so, and I'm going from that, and you can basically say that at that time, me in engineering school, that was my first encounter with a computer. <laughs> so, so and, and we see today kids, they are born with technology. Yes. They have had an iPad since they can say mama. Yes, yes. Right? So, and, and so, you know, uh, I always feel like I'm trying to catch up with technology. The technology is going faster than I can think or that I can, well, you know, I, uh, figure it out. Well, and then I'm trying always to catch up. And I think that's, so one, that's, my, that, that's, yeah, one of the my, that's one of the problems of technology, I think. I think that's a built-in problem <clears throat> that nobody seems to address. But they come up with new things so rapidly, as you said that the American population is having a hard time keeping up. And, I, and, and I'm just saying that, and I include everybody in that, because uh, it affects everybody in, at one time or another where there's something new, you know, that you don't know how to do it. The kids don't know how to do all the programs. Uh, and, and sometimes the kids, uh, you know, are good at clicking. But when it comes to creating, and I mentioned that one technology, when you create, that's a whole different ballgame. And so I think sometimes we need to stop the stop th things for a second, and the technology companies need to say, "What are we doing? Right? Can we do this more creatively? Can we make this a little bit more pleasant experience?" But I think they get so bogged into the money making thing, right, that they make so yeah. much money quickly, and we just get we just get uh, inundated with uh, all of this technology. And, I, and, I, and I've read article after article in the United States, especially, that uh, people are stressed, and everybody pretty much, even kids are getting stressed out because yeah. they're, they're, they're trying to keep up because they want to keep up with the, the rest of the, the society, right? And they're trying to keep up, et cetera, with the technology and it wears them out and they get frustrated, et cetera. So it's kind of a problem that goes right back to the technology companies and they need probably to stop sometimes and say, let's see how we can do this a little bit smoother than how they do it, right? right? And, and it kind of gets dumped on people a lot. You know, it's like uh, whatever occupation people are in too, that, uh, you, you know, you get you get into a, you're using one program, right? You've got an expert on uh, Adobe and design and all designing stuff. You've got an expert on uh, video things, right? And video programs to make edit videos and do these things and even they get their jobs and the the software changes so fast that they're frustrated yes. all the time trying to keep up and it's just it's it becomes kind of self-defeating where it ends up creating much more work than we need because it takes work to keep up right and so yeah, you're, you're I'm, working I'm, to keep up what, um... and it's not saving time because originally, when technology was being used back in the 80s, when we started the revolution in the mid-80s and, and uh, things of technology, it, the purpose of it was to make life easier for people, 
right? It was going to make it more relaxing. You're going to be able to have more time to enjoy things. And what ended up happening is we have technology everywhere, right? You can't go to sleep at night without being bothered. You know, you get a text, you know, somebody texts you or you get emails, you do this, you do that. And it never stops, right? I mean, it's like it's a 24-hour merry-go-round. And so it's just, um, I think eventually we're going to see this and people are going to say, wait a minute, you know, and, and we're going to step off this crazy bandwagon sometimes. But uh, it does get uh, overwhelming for people, I think. I think I don't think it matters how old we are. Even the young people uh, have the same issues, you know, with keeping up with stuff. And, uh, uh, and especially on jobs, you know, when they're trying to keep up with the software and, and whatever they're dealing with every day. So it's certainly a kind of a monumental thing at the moment. Um, does that yes. make does that make sense? What they say? Oh, uh, it makes absolutely sense. And and you know what? Uh, you know the other the other side of the coin. Well, two things. Um, going back to the creativity and the use of technology. That's why I think that uh, teaching a world language is is a great medium to do that, uh, especially on the creativity side. Now, with the technology, everything that you said, I totally agree with that. And and there's the other side of the coin of technology, right? So in the one hand, we have these wonderful tools that make our life easier in so many ways. Uh, but on the other side, sometimes I wonder if we are losing that touch with human. Yes, the human people. touch, yes. Missing yes. that connection. Totally agree. Like, yes, I totally agree with that. Yes, where is the human touch in this? Yes, and and we can't. We have to keep it. We certainly can't just lose it, right? We we have to keep that. I'm uh -huh. glad you brought that into it. That's totally correct, and I totally agree with that. Um, so, um, what what do you think? It makes a really good world language teacher today. What's a, a makes a really good language teacher? Well. Um, Would you say creativity is high on the list? Well, definitely. Uh, but what makes a good language? Well, I would I would say one thing. A great a good teacher is one that follows her passion or her vocation or her calling, right? Right. So if if that that would tell yourself that you are in the right place. Right, uh, and then of course a good teacher needs to uh, have meet certain expectations. Uh, what expectations? Well, you have to be competent in the subject that you're teaching, right? Outstanding, um, and I'm going to stop here with that. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, that's one of my pet peeves right now too. Some, and and we, yeah, I'm sure you guys talk about this at your school, but there's there's people getting into the teaching profession now. They're getting into the teaching profession, and they don't have much preparation, right? And I guess in yeah. some school or areas of the country, we're desperate for teachers. And, uh, and that, that what you just said is supremely important. Are they qualified to teach what they're doing, right? And uh, I think that's another thing we have to look at. And, you know, in, in the state of uh, teaching today, not just languages, but everything, right? Right. I mean, it's uh, we've got. So, if you're going to be teaching math, you better have a good yes. level of understanding yes. of math before you can 
stand up there, right? And obviously you have to have, like you said, the training because one thing is to know the stuff and another is to be able to transmit that knowledge yeah. to somebody I, else. I, and I, I'm going to tell the listeners one thing I know about you because uh, I've always enjoyed speaking with you because you're a very positive person, you know? You always are you know, pretty uplifting about teaching and, and you're very positive and as you you can tell when you're speaking about what you do you know and positivity and and like you mentioned the the teaching the culture having fun with the kids and i think that is so important in teaching right and something yes. we can't just throw that under the bus either we got to always keep talking about that you know having fun right that's another exactly. huge and thing. that's kind of like in, in the list of things that I think it, it's kind of like the, the bare minimum to be a good te teacher, right? So yes. be patient and be kind. Yes. I mean, we live in a very aggressive world. And I mean, if, if your students cannot feel safe because you are mean yes, to them, correct. Like, you're in the wrong profession. Yes. Um, uh, now, being, being a good listener. Yes. You know? yeah, being a great listener is good. Yes. And then the other thing is uh, in communicating, right? As you said. Human mm -hmm. to human, talking to people, learning how to communicate has still got to be a huge part of education. Now, uh, quickly, if you could tell me quickly, because I wanted to, you to be able to talk about the kids, where are the, your kids at? Uh, now, you have how many children? You have three. Three. You mean my own children? Yes. Yes. Um, where well, are they at? Uh, my, I have three. And uh, as I said earlier, each one of them was born in a different state. <laughs> so I have one from Michigan, one from Ohio, and one from New York. Uh, and they, I don't have any Hoosiers. Are they living but, near you now? But they, they all could probably tell you that they were raised in Indiana. Okay. Um, so my son lives and works in Chicago. Uh, my middle daughter, she lives and works in Austin, Texas. And my youngest, she works here in Carmel, so she's taking advantage of free rent. So and I'm delighted for that because we we have company all the time, um, you know. So I, my husband and I, we we love our kids and we love spending time with them, and um, okay. we appreciate that they were very lucky to have good teachers along the way. And I think, uh, you know, going back to what who, who is a good teacher, a good teacher is one that inspires the student to continue up, uh, or becoming a, a lifelong yeah. learner. Yes, yes. And I think all three of them have that. Yes, um, and that, that makes... They, they're not just working for the money, yes. but they are always trying to, to learn something and to get better at what they do. So I think... You know, I, I owe that to great teachers that they had. So what's your biggest challenge when you teach? Um, well, um, we, we, I'm sure that we all have had many challenges, especially <laughs> in the, uh, in the late years, COVID, you know, put, put us over the edge to most of, most yes, of us. Yes. Right? Oh, um, but COVID also was an opportunity to learn to deal with technology in a different way. So um, I guess, uh, you know, the, the, one of the biggest challenges is 
to to have an understanding of what's the purpose of of word language. It's not just one more box to fill in. Um, I, I feel like the challenge is that people respect word language as much as they do math or uh, or English or any you know or any of the other STEM subjects because now the buzzword around is STEM 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 which is wonderful right but the humanities have an importance and have a very relevant place in humanities is where we learn to think and stop and reflect yes. and we don't do that we become more like machines and yes. less human. Yes, beautifully said. Beautifully said. I love, love that how you the, that way you just did that. That was well said. Um, now, my next uh, thing I have to do here is I have to despedirme. Hemos llegado a la hora de. So estamos como aquí. 56 minutos, eh, con el programa. Oh, wow. Sí, son... Well, it's because we have had so much fun. Sí, sí, sí. No, sí, claro. Nos divertimos mucho. Okay. So, what we're going to hacer, y si tú quieres um, decirles algo a los profes en español, los que están escuchando, de tu, tu consejo para tener muchos éxitos en tus clases. Okay? Okay. Um... Bueno, uh, a los maestros que hablan español, uh, yo les voy a aconsejar que sean como, uh, como fieras, um, feroces, ¿no? En, en el proceso de aprender, que, uh, que sean como cazadores, como los lobos, ¿no? Como cazadores en, en, en grupos, ¿no? Y, y lo que me refiero a eso es aprendan a trabajar en equipo, Uh, especialmente nuestra profesión no es una profesión de individuales. Y sí es cierto que tenemos nuestra clase solitos, pero lo que enseñamos y lo que aprendemos es porque trabajamos en grupo, en conjunto. We learn from each other, ¿no? We aprendemos de cada uno de nosotros, de los maestros que estuvieron antes que nosotros y de, con los que trabajamos. Um, debemos de aprender a, a crear esas relaciones fuertes, porque también es cierto que nosotros enseñamos más allá del currículum, y si no somos capaces de enseñar a nuestros alumnos que podemos trabajar juntos, ¿cómo podemos esperar que ellos sean creativos okay. y trabajen juntos en equipo y, pues, y que muy, muy hagan bien. cosas para mejorar? No nada más a ellos, pero al conjunto, ¿no? A vale. todos. Muy bien. Es que muy bien hecho, dicho y, y estoy completamente de acuerdo con todo lo que has dicho. Que lo más importante es, como has dicho, es, es ser parte del equipo, ¿verdad? Del equipo de profes en la escuela, de los profes de idiomas y que trabajamos juntos, ¿verdad? En, uh -huh. Y creo que es el secreto. Ok. Thank you so much for being on our show. You're magnificent. And oh, uh, thank you, Tom. We, we it was a pleasure. We will be in touch. Don't leave yet because I'm going to just stop the recording of the show, but we're going to chat a little bit, okay? And I appreciate of you. Okay. Thank you so much for being on the show. For the listeners, don't forget we're going to be at the IFLTA conference, the Indiana conference uh, next week. So there'll be a show after that. 
Everybody have a great day, and we'll talk to you soon. And uh, just keep doing a great job teaching. Okay, nos vemos. Bye. Adios.